If Fog Could Sing Stories by Charlie Price Graveside Music by Charlie Price Read by Charlie Price Mr. Benjamin Macklemore was resigned to dying. He was now perpetually supine, horizontal, like a peninsula or a beached whale, no longer the vertical that a human ought to be, in these his last weeks. But happily, those last and supine weeks of Mr. Macklemore's were spent in his own bed, the soft touch of the sheets creased and yellowed through years, as familiar as the precise depth of give in the familiar mattress on which his body, a little emaciated but still large, rested. Death was inevitable, but it was not swift. The death swoon draped his being in slumber and lidded his eyes. The death hush hushed his voice to final wordlessness. The only voices heard in the quiet room were those of the nurses and carers, talking to themselves as they went about their business, if ever they said anything to the former constable. He could no longer reply, or even softly grunt in reply, and the death draught in all his body was a deep paralysis, robbing his faculties, his characteristics, his memories. All these components of a spirit once so very alive betrayed him of their own accord, deserted him in unanimous exodus from this desiccated and infertile wasteland of a body. A few weeks before, when he admittedly was frail, but his mind was not so clouded with this coma of thick somnolence, he had the blasphemous thought that he would like to have been killed suddenly in a car accident when he was a decade younger. He sensed this end-of-life stasis and sleep coming, and he longed for the simultaneous termination of his body and what he took to be his life. He was like a planet now, some old and shrunken celestial globe, floating blisslessly in the ether of space, soon to be crushed, or collapsed, or annihilated in the hypernova of a nearby star, surrounded by mists, the misty planet. That's what he was. The bed was his own, but the house belonged to the father of the fading once constable, Mr. Macklemore, Benji or P.C. Benjamin, please, but not Mr. Macklemore. Mr. Macklemore is my father's name, as he used to say, had found marriage, but he doubted whether he had ever found love, as others seemed to find it, friends of his and their wives or girlfriends, most of them policemen. Amy had died a number of years before. She was nine years her husband's junior, and so her death of cervical cancer was perhaps a little unexpected and a little before her time. Mr. Macklemore loved the one to whom he had given his last name, Amy Macklemore. He was ever so proud of the lyrical euphony of that name. It sounded so beautiful, he thought. He loved Amy because he decided to love her, decided that she was worthy of what love he was able to feel for her, and more. He had been terrified of loneliness. It made his nights sleepless sometimes, the fear that he might never marry, that he might die alone. He had been married, he had found marriage, and yet here he was dying alone. He decided in his last moments of lucidity that dying alone was not as bad as it sounded. It had been quite a late marriage, his and Amy's, especially for a first marriage, which for Mr. Macklemore it was, while for Amy it was not. Shields was her maiden name. 
Her first husband's last name was Buck, which neither of the Macklemores thought much of. Amy Buck couldn't hold a candle to Amy Macklemore. Mr. Buck had suffered from bouts of mental illness all his life. The end of his marriage to Amy was perhaps the snapping of the last cord which bound him to sanity. He had been sectioned, institutionalised, and treated for depressive psychosis. In the early days of the Macklemore's marriage, Amy continued to visit her previous husband in the institution. It didn't take him long to die. Suicide, in his case, sped things along. But, as his lips had hauntingly uttered, not long before his final expiration, to Amy through the glass wall that separated them in the visiting chamber, he had already died. There could be no further death. The Buck's marriage had produced no children, though not by choice, and the Macklemore's marriage produced no children by choice. They were too old by then to be parents. Their coupling was as unitive as any married couple's, but theirs was more a reach if they were perfectly honest for security, safety, companionship than the impelling forces of love. They were adults. They were satisfied with not too much. There was a wisdom, a bearable sadness, and a humility to their expectations of life. Seasonally speaking, at the age they were when they were wed, the best of summer was past, and November came around all too soon. What about Benji Macklemore's past? For the past was where his life now dwelt. His family was Catholic, though Benji had left the faith some time ago. The Macklemore's marriage was a secular affair. That being said, Mr Macklemore had once upon a time been quite religious, even in middle age. Mass-going, as the phrase was in the case of his faith. He had retained certain trappings. He had clung on to two rosaries of meaning, a crucifix, a baptismal certificate, a small deep blue Bible... He had returned to elements of the Catholic faith's stern rubric and ornate consolation at what, in and out of weeks, seemed the hour of his death, like one month-long death hour. His career in the police force had been long and quite extensive, although he never qualified for a specially exalted rank. He never even progressed as sergeant. In such a sense, he had no interest. He was a constable, an officer, a keeper of the peace. He had long ago fashioned a police officer out of himself, and that is what he had been, what he fathomed himself to be, and of all the things that he had been, postman, milkman, sales rep, clerk, policeman was the one of which he was most proud, a uniform, blue, royal, and a number of gleaming rosettes pinned to the breast, hung on a hanger, trousers beneath, and a pair of big black boots at foot level on the floor. Newspaper clippings were arrayed in informative monument on the wall looking over a dresser, upon whose lace covering were arranged special items of jewellery, never again to be worn by their owners, and wedding photographs never again to be looked upon by their subjects. The clippings on the wall mentioned Constable Macklemore by name in a number of places, reports on crimes committed, criminals apprehended, delinquent acts averted, his role in all of these. On a specially made helmet stand, the long off-duty helmet, weighty and gilded and shined, reigned. It had been a fairly simple life. He had been quite a fit, large man, with strong, undeterrable, heavy hands, and a presence that through practice and habit had grown authoritative. There was something that he spoke about only reluctantly, 
an amputee called Carol, who had disappeared in a missing persons case. Shortly after she was recovered, Constable Macklemore had a breakdown, what he referred to as his hiatus by euphemistic habit. Carol, the word, that dactyl, with an association of song. It was a haunted word. The word was a door. What lay behind that door? He alluded sparingly and reluctantly to details. He'd fucked up, he said. Said it was the mission he shouldn't have undertaken. That he'd acted beyond his brief. What had he done? The days are long and people do many things in the days of their life. On the day his condition suddenly worsened and he died, the nurse whose duty it was to care for Mr. Macklemore, wash him, shave him, keep him company and comfortable, administer him the last and little doses of fluid and medication that he could stand, it was a woman who had known the Macklemores for some time. She had got to know Amy Macklemore and her husband, and nursed the former through her terminal illness, and been there to hold her hand through her last hour on the earth. Lauren Waters had worked in palliative care for twenty years. There could be no better candidate for the office of dying than herself. But it was not her own death with which she was tasked. It was that of others. Many others. Time and time again. She didn't fear death exactly, others or her own, whenever that might be. But she felt quite deeply that it was preferable to die than to be the sole life in a room where death was. That day, Lauren Waters drank a cup of tea in the Lion Street Café. She drank it rather slowly, as she rifled through dating profiles on her phone. Occasionally she lingered on one, but for the most part she didn't. Once she had drunk her pot of tea to the dregs, robbing the fragrant bag of every drop of its waters, she exited the calf as she thought of it, and the owners didn't, the bell at the door tinging briefly to sound out her exit and she did not allow herself to admit that she was repulsed by the majority of those men. That gallery of faces, beings trapped there in the images, their artificiality. Walking now, up Lion Street, she passed male faces attached to bodies. The faces might be plain, but they did not make those sickly, like-me, rictus smiles. They just were the faces, the bodies, the beings in the world. She was thinking of so many things. A couple passed, each figure bound into the inefficiency of a twosome, more aware of one another than the world around them, while Lauren had no one distracting her from the path, the roads, the crossings, the surroundings, and she walked through the world, weaving her way through the straggling and floundering happy people, with her quick, lonely efficiency. She had been married, but too young, and that was ancient history to her. In fact, the Holy Roman Empire and Julius Caesar and Caligula all seemed realer to her than her brief union with Percy. Such foolishness, such recklessness in love. She missed the flighted feeling of such illusion. But she had learned her lesson, and left a marriage of barely a year behind her sadder, wiser, and burdened by a reluctant carefulness that had never allowed her to remarry. She entered Mr. Macklemore's house and climbed the carpeted stairs, 
wondering as she ascended how many months it had been since Mr. Macklemore had descended those stairs. She thought about bungalows as she climbed the stairs, of earning a packet and buying a bungalow surrounded by palm trees and drinking champagne and tequila, facing the beach, resting her head against a chest, haired, dark, male. Then she thought about the old people she cared for, past and present, how many people move into bungalows, ahead of the final special migration into the grave. The sexy beach bungalow and the death bungalow became confused. She wished to distract herself from her mind's odd meanderings. She looked furiously at the stair steps, taking in as much as she could of each one as she rose. What was the same about all of them? What blemish was particular to particular steps? Her odyssey up the diagonal zigzag of the stairs was nearly over, and she allowed herself to admit that she didn't want to go into Mr. Macklemore's death room. She feared it, was depressed by it. She despaired. She took a moment to despair. But she sensed something different as she approached his room. She smelt something in the air. Not bowel movement. He had nothing to expel at this late stage. Sounding out her entrance, she came towards the bed and looked over at him. Mr. Macklemore, sprawled, as if in struggle, his face blanched white, but his body craning upward. He seemed to have something to say. His arm rose as if on a string that was about to break at any moment, and his forefinger erected itself, before falling back into a dangle with the effort. He had pointed at the record player, and the small stack of records beside, and Lauren had followed his point, and understood his desire. "'Would you like some music, Benji?' Lauren said. A nothingness in his response read somehow as an affirmative to Lauren. He had no way of telling her which record he wanted, but if this was to be his last act, then should she not attempt to elicit a request? There were only a few records by the phonograph. Lauren had always noticed the device and the small quantity of LPs beside. Usually old people's homes were full of hundreds of vinyls. These were perhaps the only songs Mr. Macklemore listened to in his twilight years. Sarah Vaughan, Elvis, Janice, Nina Simone, Mozart flute quartets. Smetna quartet, Beethoven late string quartets, Bruno Walter, Mahler too, a couple of other things which were a little more obscure. Lauren presented the records the covers large and their album art bold, the classical ones first, and Mr. Macklemore's lips tightened and quivered, and he turned his eyes away from them. No, no, no. Elvis? No. Nina Simone? He turned back and his eyes widened with enthusiasm and recognition, and his mouth opened with relaxation. Nina Simone? Lauren asked, triumphant and delighted by the affirmation in Mr. Macklemore's face. The tiniest nod answered, and she put it on the record player. Nina Simone's face, in grey scale, filled the album cover, her crop of short hair, her ears bejewelled with big raindrop earrings, and the right of her made-up, anguished Egyptian eyes stared strikingly. The darkness behind the eye stared, her lashes made shadows beneath her eyes. The other eye was in darkness. Laying down the cover, Lauren switched on the record player, and lifted the stylus up, depositing it at the record's edge, crackling. Then, I knew a man, Bojangles.
I knew a man Bojangles and he danced for you. A slow ballad, melancholy, lifted defiantly in the nasal contralto of Nina's voice. A voice that may as well have sounded centuries away, a shadow's song, preserved, a life expression, posthumous. As the opening measures of the music passed, Lauren looked back at Mr. Macklemore, and he was bolt upright in his bed. That old soft shoe, he jumped so high, he jumped so high. He was rising, with the rising elongation of the music's phrase, the voice prolonging itself on one flying note. Mr. Macklemore lifted his legs from beneath the bed's familiar covering and into the air. Then he'd lightly touch down. His feet touched down, lightly, on the panels of the floor. Beneath the thin surface of carpet, they seemed glad to receive him as they used to, morning after morning long ago, those panels. It was an astonishing thing to behold, a miracle of the kind humanity once believed in. Mr. Macklemore, returning to life, coming alive and climbing out of bed, and taking Lauren by the shoulders in his hands. He began to waltz with her. Together they swayed, with the lilt of the music, the tenderest m-cha-cha mm piano, a twinkling guitar embellishing, and a brushed kit punctuating gently. The record turned, and turned, and turned, and turned. He looked to me to be the eyes of age. As he spoke right out, he talked of life, he talked of life. Their eyes were only for one another. She knew how to dance. She longed to dance like she used to dance. Mr. Macklemore's face was still old, his body crocked with age. He was elderly, but he could bear it, outshine it. Do a number on his elderliness. There was life in him yet, and he danced. Strands of lyric were heard, and then they were unheard. The voice grew far away, and only as intelligible as fog, if the fog had a song to sing. And then human articulations, indubitable words, would come warring through the music's caressive mist. He danced a lick all across the cell. The room was a cell, and they danced in it. He spoke with tears of fifteen years how his dog and him had just travelled about. Dog up and died, he up and died. Mr. Macklemore's eyes, the old life returning to those eyes, and after twenty years he still grieves. There was more, but Lauren didn't hear it. The music seemed to peter out.
or jangles dance, dance. They were folded in one another's embrace, and in the autumn room, the record turning, they gently animated their embrace. Warmth passed like hope between them, and hope like warmth. She didn't desire him, but she was willingly enfolded in him. He was her lover, grown old, loved once, and she, Amy Macklemore, come back for more life, risen up through the mouth of the cervical wound where they attempted to obliterate the cancer there, a new person, a new woman. Then, unexpectedly, Mr. Macklemore grew cold. Lauren looked Mr. Macklemore in the eyes, and she drew back from him. His eyes were diamonds of horror. There was a red spot in their centre, surrounded by violet. In a shower of hissing sound, an enormous long tongue, sorely pockmarked in sores, elongated and shivered and uncurled in darkly purposeful motion from his mouth. The tongue was like a hand, a uvular limb. It stole, growing longer and longer from Mr. Macklemore's gullet, and found her mouth, and fiercely explored the inside of it. It nuzzled its way down her throat, uninvited. She cried out, but the big decrepit tongue stifled her scream. Only Mr. Macklemore could speak. He smiled the most terrible death smile. He seemed so violently alive, and yet the voice that spoke was a death rasp, as his tongue slithered backwards in retreat, back into him, and he said, Touch it! Touch it! His member was rock-hard, stiff with life, thrilled stiff with the life that had seized him so suddenly. Lauren looked at the large tumescence in his old man's pyjamas. Touch it! And he triumphantly began to persuade her hand towards it, holding Lauren's wrists in his aged hands. The fat, supple tongue hissed in fervency. He tittered with desire. His diamonds of eyes flashed many shades. No, she thought, perhaps even aloud. I won't have it. I won't give in. I don't want this for myself. This final loneliness. This final desperation. I won't. I don't want to, she cried out, pulling away from the old man, writhing and taut as though possessed. I don't want you. Finally, get off me. Leave me alone. And he lastly paled, appalled, and stumbled backwards, backwards, back to the bed of his coming. He went the way he had come, backwards, stumbling back to his bed, as if with final fatality, with insult, with the injury of her retort, with last fatality. With the rejection ringing in his ears, and like fire in his eyes, he died. His eyes stared blackly, his mouth a bruise, his cheeks shot. Lauren tore off the needle from the record. In the silence of the silence, and utterly unmoving, the constable lay at last. He, and all he had been, lay there, not mattering at last. He had fucked up again, but it would be the last time. Looking around the room, the record player, Mr. Macklemore, the disarray of the bed, the policeman's helmet a photograph of Amy on his night table, the newspaper clippings, the uniform, the phonograph, the bed, Mr. Macklemore, the clippings, the bed, Mr. Macklemore, the sheets, the man, the man's stomach, the colour the flesh went. What happened? Lauren thought. 
She had attended Amy McElmore's death years ago, and now her husband's. She was the one in attendance. Lauren Waters, she was his witness. Waters of comfort, as Amy used to call her. Affectionately. Lauren would have to report it. This death. She the attendant. She the witness. What happened? She thought again. There was a mirror in the room. She neatened her hair in the mirror. What happened? She lastly thought, looking into the mirror. Yeah. <laughs>